and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Pleased that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We are just thrilled to be right there with you. Make sure to check out the latest edition of Live Happy Magazine. Is it available on newsstands? Why, yes, it is. It is also available where books are sold. And it is available in a digital edition. You can find it at the App Store. You can also find it at the Google Play Store. And it is now available on your cell phone. So you can always take Live Happy with you. And we would appreciate you doing so. Now, if you joined us in Dallas last week, that was a good time. The iPen Festival was in Dallas, Texas, and we had the chance to talk with a numerous amount of people, a huge amount of people. Grammatically incorrect sentences are fine when you're as excited as we were about the iPen Festival, and we got a chance to talk with a couple of people in the positive psychology field. And uh, the well-being thought leaders came together in Dallas And we sat down with a few, as we mentioned, including Dr. Abdullah Al-Karam, who helped establish the KHDA in 2007, which is an organization that focuses on private education in Dubai, which includes early learning centers, schools, universities, and training institutes. It was a fascinating conversation, and we'd like you to hear some of it. The first question I have for you is, what is the the baseline? You're very much into positive education and teaching children with this uh, positive psychology and education. What is the baseline? What's the access point for for parents who are trying to teach their kids? What should what fundamentals, I guess, should the children have as they uh, head into this uh, type of education? So when we look at their schooling systems, we find out that most of these parents they want the kind of education they got. Right. But when they come to Dubai, it's a different landscape. So what we found out through positive education and mainly about simply using the word happy, happy education, mm-hmm. we find that that's easy sell for parents. So, I mean, if you're looking, for example, to parents from India, they want their kids to be strong in math and science. If you're looking at different parents, expectation academically is different. However, when it comes into positive education, it's the same. Right. No, no, no parents that doesn't want their kids to be happy. So we found that as a very common baseline to start conversation about uh, having the kids to be happy. How does the, the education, how, how do you put that into practice? And what ways should people expect or try to maybe introduce that sort of thing to children as they're going through their normal scholastic endeavors? Yeah, and I think for education, how do we put it around is mainly when you look at schools, mainly they're looking at academics achievement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we all grow up with the conventional wisdom that says, you know, you work hard, you be successful and you be happy hence and forward. Mm-hmm. I think what we're trying to tell the kids now or through the schools, it's the other way around, actually. Get the kids to be happy first. Right. They're happy. They won't skip school. Yeah. They will do their homework. They will love it then automatically they will be successful in life. So I think we need to acknowledge that because in in this generation, they've got it all. They're connected. They have so much going on for them. And I think the fact that kids born to be happy, Mm -hmm. they're naturally happy. They are naturally curious. They ask, they play. It's just the fact we need the education system to to actually um, encourage them to be curious more and ask more questions rather than just, feed them with only answers uh, to them. Oh, I, I think that's very important because for people who, you know, once you leave your schooling and wh- whatever that might be in whatever country, mm. 
it's important to have that lifelong love of learning. And you find that positive education helps to foster that love of yeah. learning, right? Yeah. I mean, positive education focus a lot, for example, on curiosity. Mm-hmm. The curiosity. Ask questions. Ask new questions, find new answers. There was a study that was done by MIT uh, Innovation Lab uh, about, about a year ago. They looked at and tracked kids. So on an average, a kid at four years old, that just as they start going to uh, schools, at four years old, a kid will ask about 100 questions per day. Wow. You know, kids ask all questions. They don't know the answer. They don't want to know the answer. They just ask questions. What is sure. This? What is <laughs> about, about 100 questions per day. And then they track them down. Six years later, when they are 10 years old, that number drops to only 10. Oh, Wow. I don't know how many questions you ask yourself every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I question a lot of things. I don't know if, if I'm asking the right questions. So, so I think with the positive education, we want to keep that going. Because curiosity is one of the elements that makes people happy. When yes. you try to do something new for the first time, you ask, okay, how's this, how's this, how's this? And that actually drives positiveness. I think we've, I think I've found that examples of that in my own life. That's why I love going to cities I've never been to. And especially cities, I recently went to London. Their yeah. street system is completely different from here. When they drive on the other side of the road. Yeah. Right? And to have to learn how to, to understand all of that, uh, and, and pique that curiosity. But you don't have to do things as, as grandiose as no. overseas travel. You can find curiosities in your own life, right? Yeah. I mean, you look, you pick up, you pick up a new habit, you pick up a new sport every mm-hmm. couple of years, you keep learning. Learning. And I think this is good because once you, as you grow older, your actual appetite gets less for new stuff. So mm-hmm. how do you rejuvenate yourself? And I think that's where positive education talks a lot about rejuvenating not only the kids, but the teachers, making them happy. So I think uh, through, through, through an education system, we would like to encourage us giving more or opportunity to raise questions, new questions, not mm-hmm. answers. Because if you're asking them for answers... They're going to give you exactly the things you taught them. Right. And what if you, what you taught them is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and I think, I think that that's where we find out, you know, with, with kids. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to, to uh, for example, instead of, I always compare this, workplace versus what's happening in the classroom. In the classroom, you take exams. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to use the internet, right? Right. Can you work without the internet and Wi-Fi? No, we Absolutely. can't get our job no. done. <laughs> in a school, in exams, you cannot. You have to do it yourself, right? You cannot work with your colleagues. Mm-hmm. That's called cheating, right? Right. At workplace, if you see somebody working alone, say, "Why are you are working alone?" Right. You should be team. Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. And I think the other one, which I like the most, is in the exams or in schools, if you get the wrong answers, they punish you. Or give you lower grades. Right. That's what happens. At work, no. We encourage failures. Mm-hmm. At least where I work, we, yeah. like to, we ask people, tell me your greatest failure in life. Your big failure. I want to know that you failed. I want to know that you tried and failed and tried and failed. I, did not, I don't want to know that you didn't fail. You didn't try. Right. So this is the very, very, this is the image of what you have in school. And this is what the workplace. So it's going in contradiction. And then, and then, yeah, because then a lot of people aren't prepared for that in the workplace. They're not, no, and even no, if it's a positive no, thing, no. they. Yeah, and I think there, there this came up. Uh, this came out in the World Economic Forum last January in Davos. A study that shows about sixty-five percent of the kids that today entering primary school, sixty-five percent of them will be working in jobs that today don't exist yet. 
Wow. We don't know these jobs. So the whole idea about because because of the technological innovation, change the world, everything is changing so fast. So 65% of them will be working in jobs that we don't know about. So what we should be teaching them? And there is a fundamental now about teaching them how to learn, mm-hmm. how to unlearn, and how to relearn again. Yeah, because to prepare them for a future, we don't know what those skills are. Exactly. This is what you need to do. Plus, I mean, most of these kids who are entering now, right now primary school, they will not happen to have a driver license because cars will be driving themselves in eight, ten years. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just to give you an example. So, yeah, there's no reason to teach them about cars today because they will look at that and they will wonder, Daddy, did you do something so hazardous to your life, not like getting behind the wheel and getting yourself killed? What is that, you know? Exactly. So things are changing so fast for these kids. And I think this is where, where we need to focus on because those early years, those primary years where the brain is ready, needs all of these things because as you try to do this at, when the kids become it's difficult a little bit mm-hmm. so there's a lot of work right now with positive education at, at that early years of education trying to nurture that trying to keep their curiosity going and trying to actually listen to what they want to do Sow the seeds early and, and uh, let the uh, fruit come uh, much much later and, and enjoy the fruits there yeah yeah because, because what happened is for every dollar you spend on educating kids at early years, you're basically saving $4 later. Wow. That these are statistics are proven. Because at early years, you are not looking at teachers only. You're looking at the person in the classroom who's a mentor, who's a coach, who's a good for nutrition, who's a good psychologist. He could, everything. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not trying to teach them that. So, and I think this is where we're finding a lot of the work right now that's happening is at a grassroots level. Yeah, as a grassroots level. And, you know, kids at those ages are um, very happy. I mean, I, I always tell this story. So we have many new parents who come to Dubai from all over the world. So earlier in this year, academic year, I got to meet new parents, right? So, And I met this new parent from Australia, and I said, okay, well, how do you find Dubai? Tell me something interesting about your kid in Dubai. Her kid's very young. So she said, yeah, I have this thing. When I first moved into Dubai, I had, you know, I had to do some errands run electricity bills and whatnot set up. And we have this main street of Dubai, which has the high towers. Yeah. The tall, tall buildings. The famous one that we all... Pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all tall buildings around it. So when, when the kid gets in the car, right, and then she's driving, the kids keep looking through the window and it's a big smile. Right. And then when the road stretch and this and the normal face. And then when she drives back. So every time she goes through a stretch of this high tower building, the kid has a big smile in their face. And it stops. So she couldn't help, but she asked the kid, what are you looking for through the window? What, what's smiling? What are you looking at through the window or through the sunroof? The kid says, well, I'm looking for Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> you never See, know. I mean, he's going through the tall buildings. Yeah. Never, but for us, as an adult, we drive through that main town, uh, the main street, and our preset is negative. They're going to be car. There's going to be a car accident. There's going to be traffic. Gonna, we actually don't look up to the windows because we don't look for Spider-Man. We're not looking for Spider-Man. Yeah. So we have to look at where the kids are looking at today, and they are looking at a very interesting places. And I think we should learn from them. 
Yes, and encourage that type of, of positive outlook for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out here at IPEN to talk with us. There's so much more we could get into, and hopefully one day we'll be able to get a chance to, uh, to speak with you more and have safe travels back to Dubai. All right, thanks. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you Good very luck. much. Thanks. And just a note to our producer, I am serious. We would love to have uh, Dr. Al-Karam on again very, very soon. It was a fun conversation, especially when the microphones weren't on. And, uh, well, we'll catch some more of that conversation at a later date. We also had an opportunity to have a conversation with Lee Waters, who is the director of the Center of Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne. Here's how that conversation went. One of the things that you're talking about here at IPEN is strengths-based parenting. Can you explain a little bit uh, what that is and what you mean by that? Sure thing. That's a lovely question. And really, strength-based parenting is just an approach to parenting where the parent becomes mindful of the where they're placing their energy. And are they placing more of their energy on seeing the faults and fixing the weaknesses in their child or more of their energy on identifying the strengths and cultivating the strengths in their child? Mm. It's very interesting. I think I've seen both approaches uh, in my in my own life. I think that's one thing that uh, is very important. Like I was always into broadcasting and look what I'm doing. My mm-hmm. brother was always very mechanical and he's a mechanic. He likes taking things apart. And my other brother likes video games. So they've helped him learn how to uh, code and do all those sorts of things things. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. That Look, you've given three really concrete examples. And it really is about um, parents learning their children and seeking to identify their strengths and then putting them into environments where those strengths get amplified and cultivated. And, and what we know about strengths is that they're partly based on nature. Mm-hmm. And you're saying all three of you had different strengths and your parents saw them straight away. But um, they don't really become a strength until they're um, developed by the child. Sure. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. They, like the the child, you can kind of lead the child towards things, yes. but they're going to naturally develop their own interests. That's how do right. how do parents go about uh, identifying that? Because sometimes, especially when they're young, interests can be so varied because the world is so new. Yeah. Uh, what are some things to look for good. for for a parent? Great question and um, good observation too. That when they're young, you know. So look, there are three qualities to a strength, and mm. um, those three qualities are that. Um, there's a high level of performance. So in your, in the case of you and your siblings, you know, in each of the particular skills, you, your parents would have seen that you were doing it a little bit better than other people of the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, the second quality is energy. So when we engage in our strengths, we're energized. And the third quality is intrinsic motivation or use. So as a parent, if you're seeing your child do something where they seem to be performing at a higher level than most of their peers, they're energized when they're doing it, and they're just choosing to do it. You know, you don't have to go and tell them to shoot baskets out the back because they're just choosing to do it. So these are the three signs that you would look for as a parent. Um, But to speak to your second point, you know, when kids are really young, you want to be strength-based and you want, to, you want to start to look at what are some potential strengths for a child, but not limit them at that age because it really is about playing and exploring and we really only start to consolidate our strengths in our teenage years. That was going to be my next question. What would be an appropriate time to encourage them to specialize, I guess, in their strengths? And you're mm. saying teenage years 13, 14 or even later? It's probably more like 
sort of 15, 16. And, okay. and what's interesting is that, you know, that research was done by Bloom a really long time ago about these sort of three phases of strength development. The first phase is the early years, which he calls the romance phase. And that's just really playing and exploring and checking out what makes me feel interested. And then you get into the teenage years and you start to specialise. So maybe my interests are more in mechanics or my interests are more in music. Um, so that's been around for a long time. But uh, more recently, the neuroscience is starting to support that. And the, what we're knowing, or what we're seeing with the teenage brain is that the brain is remodeling itself mm-hmm. um, and it's getting rid of some neural networks that you had as a child that you don't use or necessarily need anymore. And then it, and it's developing other neural networks. And so this is where the brain starts to support strength specialization. And so that's why it's, it's more like around the age of kind of 15, 16. And the benefits for kids, it, 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 maybe it, it seems too obvious to me to be true, but it, it allows the children to develop their passions. Yes. What are the benefits for parents of doing this, uh, of taking this mindset into parenting? I'm so glad you asked that question because for the first few years of my research program, I was focusing on the benefits for children and for teenagers mm-hmm. and finding that, you know, enhanced life satisfaction, greater knowledge of their own strengths, more positive emotions, more confidence, better able to deal with stress. Um, but more recently, because I'm a parent myself of two children, and more recently I asked that question. And so I ran an intervention study, and what I found is that the parents who started to become strength-based at the end of that program reported high levels of positive emotion, particularly in thinking about their children. So high levels of joy, high levels of uh, love, wonder, or just more re-energized in the parenting role. Um, And importantly, a greater sense of self-efficacy. So the parents were saying, I feel happier in the role and I feel more confident that I can do this role better as a result of focusing on the strengths in my children. And fostering and and uh, being encouraging of those strengths as well. What do you find, and obviously this will be an ongoing thing, mm-hmm. but what do you find are the benefits to the child as they grow older, as, as they go out into the world? What can they contribute to society if there's someone who has had their strengths nurtured and developed? Yeah, and look, that's such a, that's a, that's such a lovely thing. And in, in my book, I finish on that, you know, the mm-hmm. idea of how do we create a strength-based society. And one of the ways we do that is we parent our children from a strength-based way. Um, and what happens is those children grow up into adults and then they parent their children in a strength-based way. And then they're strength-based bosses, they're strength-based teachers, they're strength-based politicians. And so, uh, you know, we start to change the system in that way. And it's very at a grassroots level. I, I think that's something that a lot of people, it, we all want to change the world, right? Yeah. We all want to make the world a better place. But it's very, it can be discouraging when you think about, well, it, I've done this for a year and it's nothing's happening. Yes. But if we start with the kids yeah. and it, it progresses on, like you said, it, it just sort of mushrooms There's a ripple from there. effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah A long-term sure. ripple effect. You mentioned your book, and I do want to make sure that people know more about it. What is uh, the title of your book, and where can folks uh, get it if they want to learn more? The book is called The Strong Child, Building Resilience, Optimism, and Achievement. Um, it will be published in early 2017 through Penguin Press. Excellent. And then it'll be available in all over the world, I would assume. Correct, yeah. I've got um, book deals in the UK, the US, uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and Asia. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing the book, and hopefully uh, when the book comes out, we can get a a chance to talk with you a little bit more in depth about it then. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. So much fun to get an opportunity to talk with Lee Waters, and uh, I mean, you can't beat the Australian accent, right? 
all kinds of fun there. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Live Happy Now. And again, a special thanks to Lee Waters and Dr. Abdullah Al-Karam for joining us uh, from the IPEN Festival in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about the International Positive Education Network, you can visit ipositive-education.net. And while you're online, send us a note. What do you think about the podcast? Live Happy uh, at Live Happy on uh, Twitter. It is Facebook.com slash Live Happy on Facebook. Or you can send us an email podcast at LiveHappy.com. I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you. And remember to always live happy.